0: here it is from 2 Timothy in chapter number 4. I want you to look with me in verse number 1 as Paul is writing a young pastor named Timothy. He says, "...I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by His appearing in His kingdom preach the word be ready in season and out of season reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching." for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith." Those words are some of the last words that the Apostle Paul ever penned under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Chronologically The book of 2 Timothy was the final epistle that the Apostle Paul ever wrote, and very shortly thereafter as he referenced there in verse 7 he poured out his life, he was executed, he was martyred for the cause of Christ. And I find it very interesting in one of his last engagements to a pastor in the next generation he does not mention here prophetic powers He does not mention here, go after healing. Those two two things are extremely important in the kingdom. But that isn't what Paul mentioned to Timothy in his dying last words. He did not mention evangelism and crusades, although he does mention to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. But his emphasis is this, Timothy, anchor yourself in the Scriptures. Throw a grappling hook into the words of Christ and make them the bedrock of your ministry. And from there, Timothy, serve people and honor God. It's very interesting that down through the history of the church up until um, the last century in the Western church. Uh, the Word of God has always held such a crucial and central place. People of different denominational stripes. You, you take a man like Smith, Smith Wigglesworth who was a, a charismatic among charismatics. Listen to what he said about the Word. It a- is as we feed on the Word and meditate on the message it contains that the Spirit of God can vitalize that which we have received and bring forth through us the word of knowledge that will be as full of power and life as when He, the Spirit of God, moved upon holy men of old and gave them the inspired Scriptures." John Calvin says this, not a charismatic by any means, let the pastors boldly declare all things by the Word of God. Let them constrain all the power, all the glory and excellence of the world to give place to and to obey the divine majesty of God's Word. Let them enjoin everyone by it from the highest to the lowest. Let them edify the body of Christ through the Word of God. Let them devastate Satan's reign through, through the Word of God. Let them pasture the sheep, kill the wolves, instruct and exhort the rebellious. Let them bind and loose thunder and lightning if necessary, but let them do it all according to the Word of God. That's John Calvin. He sounds like a flaming charismatic there. (laughs) And then I like Leonard Ravenhill because he says big things with few words. He said this, one of these days some simple soul will pick up the book of God, read it, and believe it, then the rest of us will be embarrassed. (laughs) That's my kind of preacher right there. Do you believe God's Word? Don't say yes now. I didn't ask you if you believed parts of it. I didn't ask you if you believed the portions of it that undergird what you were discipled into. I'm asking you, if someone hands you the book of God and says read it, will you believe it? All of it. Will you ingest it? Will you marinate in it? Will you share it? Will you stand upon it? Will you live in it? And would you die for it? Many have. This morning I want to share with you my commitment as a Christian, as your brother, and in this context as a pastor of Newbridge. I want to share with you my commitment to the authority of God's Word. So let's go back into the verses that I just read. I want to take Paul's charge to Timothy, and I want to unpack it, and I want to welcome you to consider this a charge from God's heart to our generation. We're going to apply this, not simply historically from Paul to Timothy, but what do we unpack? What do we extract from this that makes sense for me and you? Well, first of all, it is a very serious charge that is given here. Look at what Paul says as he opens up these instructions to Timothy concerning his relationship with his Bible. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by His appearing and His kingdom. Very briefly here, Paul is about to launch off into calling Timothy to a deep allegiance to his Bible, and when he goes to make the statements he's about to make he brings in the most solemn name, the most serious context to everything he's about to say. He is not saying take it or leave it Timothy. He's not saying magnify the parts that are easy for you and then ignore the parts that aren't. He is saying Timothy in the presence of God Almighty and His glorified Son Jesus Christ I charge you to this in your ministry. Uh, Let let every proclaimer of the gospel, every Bible teacher and preacher hear those words in a very significant sense. We're actually going to be held to a higher standard as teachers of the Word and preachers of the Word about what we did with this charge than would people that don't teach and preach. This is huge. So what is the charge? Verse number 2. It's a specific assignment. Preach the Word. Will you say that with me? Preach the Word. I want us to say it multiple times. Preach the Word. Preach the Word. Preach the Word. Preach the Word. In our day where mouths are innumerable, where opinions come in like a a toxic sea, where waves are bashing against our consciences with everybody's preaching of something, the Word of God says to the believers, you proclaim my Word. And He says to do it whether you want to or whether you think you're ready to or not. Be instant, be ready, in season and out of season. So Timothy, you need to be a man about your calling. Timothy is painted in the Scriptures as not the most bold fellow. Oftentimes it would, it would seem that Paul is trying to stir him up because he's kind of a, a, kind of a, a benumbed kind of guy. He is reluctant. He hates conflict. He, he doesn't want to get into the soup of things and, and doesn't necessarily want to challenge people. And so Paul is having to push him and his reluctance along a little bit. And he says to Timothy, I want the word to be on your lips whether you're ready for it in the moment or you're not ready for it. And then in verse number two at the end of it, this charge to our generation seen in the charge from Paul to Timothy. It's a standing expectation. How is the Word preached? We're here it's unpacked a little bit. Here's what preaching the Word looks like. Sometimes you're reproving. Sometimes you're rebuking. Sometimes you're exhorting. But all of the time you're doing it with patience and teaching. It's very interesting that as Paul is telling Timothy bring forth the Word Paul is assuming there's going to be conflict when that happens. That the Word of God when it meets the spirit of the age when it meets the carnal hearts and minds of those that hear it and at times that's you and at times that's me. When when the Word goes forth and it meets resistance the believer is told not to pack it up and go home not to quit, not to be quiet, not to apologize. I'm sorry this is God's idea not mine. It's nothing like that. The, the, the Christian, the believer and in this context Timothy is told, Timothy when you're preaching the Word it's going to involve reproving. That means a convicting piercing warning. That it's supposed to have a sharp edge to it sometimes. The, 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 the species of preacher in our generation, I pray it skips the millennials, but we, we, the, our generation loves blunted preachers rounded edges, happy preachers, smiling preachers, high gloss teeth, high gloss hair, th- $5,000 suits, and ne'er and a word that would make anybody uncomfortable. You won't find that in the Bible. Now that doesn't mean he's supposed to be a jerk. There's no such thing as sanctioned jerkhood. We're not talking about that. But we are saying that sometimes God's Word pierces. Leave the sharp point on it. Reprove, rebuke. That means not only do you tell them what's wrong, you tell them what they need to do to stop being wrong. It means you literally rebuke actions. And then you exhort, and that's a word that indicates, now encourage them too. It's not all about just sitting around pointing out what's wrong, but sometimes you've got to say, hey... As a follower of Jesus Christ, as one who believes in the authority of the Word of God, I will raise my hand and say I believe in life. I believe in protecting the life in the womb. I believe in heterosexual marriage. I am against homosexual activity. I am also against heterosexual promiscuity outside of the bound of marriage. We are going to be an equal opportunity offender around here. All the people protesting about the homosexual agenda and never say a word about heterosexuals sleeping with each other and jumping from bed to bed, somebody better get in here with me, amen. And, and, and so if we're going to believe all the Word of God let's be fair about it. And then we encourage people what do we say to the homosexual? What do we say to the woman who's had an abortion? What do we say to the heterosexual young woman who's chasing boy after boy because she didn't get loved by her father? What do we say to them? Do we just stand around and, and just say wrong, wrong, wrong? No. You come alongside of them with teaching and patience and encouragement into the right direction. i will tell you something. Truth has a sting to it, but love is like a salve on the sting. It it, it means this, once the piercing happens make sure that you come behind it and they know the genuineness of your concern for them with love. Now listen we have to do all of this stuff. It's a standing expectation. It didn't die during the Enlightenment. It didn't die when science began to increase in its volume and Christians began to be mocked by their culture. The standing expectation is that we will not only believe the Word but speak the Word into our culture. Now go down into verses uh, 3 and 4 with me. Before I tell you about the changes in our generation which you're all aware of, let me take you back into the very last couple of verses into chapter 3 in 2 Timothy. They won't be up on your screen. But so many of you know these verses. Concerning the Word of God, listen to what the Word of God says about itself in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God. That means God is the original source of what we read in our Bibles. It's not Paul's opinion. It's not Moses' writings. It's not David's poetry. Though the human instrumentation is valid the original source is the heart of God. And so when you mess with the Word of God you're calling into your judgment the heart of God. All Scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching. That's what is right. If you write in your Bible or you make notes on your, your app in your Bible r- right there where it says profitable te- for teaching write what is right. We need to tell people what is right. Did anybody raise your hand if you had to teach your kids how to misbehave and do wrong. <laughs> they know it. I've never had to teach my kids how to rebel but we had to teach them what is right. And so that's what we're talking about here. The Word of God will tell you what's right and by consequence it will tell you what's wrong. For reproof that's what is not right. So the Word of God breathed out by God will teach you what is right and it will also teach you what is not right. So I'm going to ask you a question, who is framing up your views of right and wrong? Somebody is. And that somebody needs to be wiser than you or anybody else around you. Somebody is framing up our views about what is right and what is wrong. And there are so many ways to apply this. I don't have enough time this morning but the fact of the matter is you walked in today with a set of ideals. You have a worldview, and it didn't just get downloaded you just from from some source. You embraced it. You embraced it more. And perhaps what God is asking a lot of us to do in the body at this time is to reevaluate what we believe is right and wrong. Well how do we do that? Through the authority of the Word. Through God's Word. And so it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. If teaching is what is right and reproof is what is not right, correction is how to get right. And we don't live in a culture today that likes to be corrected. Amen. I, I can promise you this if you're a Christian who engage, engages in loving correction to those that you have in your sphere of influence you'll eventually meet up with some resistance about that. And my question is, is it still Right. Does their resistance against what God has said is right, does does their resistance of it, the opposition to it, does it make it any less right? Of course not. So it's a test of our will. And then by the way it also mentions in 2 Timothy 3.16 that the Scripture is profitable for training in righteousness. And that's how to stay right, to be trained, to be exercised. To be moving and walking and all of these things. Where do we get it all Jeff? We get it from the Bible. And let me just say this, the the great thing is for those of you that are born again, you have an omniscient teacher living inside of you. (laughs) You don't have to wait till Wednesday and Sunday. We're so glad you come. I thank God that you come. The the midweek Bible studies and the Ecclesia group and the Elevate Hour, that's awesome. But let me tell you something, don't hang your soul on somebody else's views. Even if they're right, go ahead and eat for yourself. I mean, nobody wants to eat pre chewed food all the time. Amen. So here you, here you go, Jeff, here's dinner. I look at it and it's like, what's up with dinner? Well, I chewed it up for you. <laughs> what's the way we do spiritually? Some of y'all, the only, I'm, I'm just going to get in your business. Sometimes the only meal you eat is what some teacher chewed up all week, spit it onto a Sunday plate and said, eat up. That was really gross, but I thought it was good. <laughs> My point being is this, man, you've got a Bible and you've got the Holy Spirit, you've got it made. So, let's give a commentary on our generation right now. And I want you to know this is a generation that we are living in. This is not new, but it is becoming um, increasingly um, impossible to deny. Look in verse number 3. Changes in our generation. This is prophecy. It was originally written, this is a prophetic word through the pen of Paul from the heart of God, and it is, has come to pass and is coming to pass already. There will be a definite shift. Look at what Paul says. The time is coming when they will not endure sound teaching. The time is coming when they're not going to endure biblical truth. The time is coming where they're going to reject it. Now watch this. It's real easy to point the finger at a a godless culture and just assume Paul's talking about them. Not so fast. Paul is writing a pastor about how to pastor the people that he's pastoring. And so this application is not just the bad guys outside of the church. Paul is prophesying that within the professing church there will come a time when they hear God's truth they will say, we don't like that. Stop saying that. We don't want to hear that. Now I don't have time to do American church history right now, but let me just tell you. Do you know why there are thousands of denominations of Christians across the globe right now? I wish I could say hundreds. It's not. It's thousands. You know why? Somebody heard something they didn't like. Now sometimes that's a good thing because maybe a leader is preaching false doctrine and people have to say we will not endure bad doctrine. But a lot of the times it's people hear something that's going to cause force them to shift something in their thinking. The courage of Lindsay to say that she, she had struggled with the doctrine and the teaching of, of the Holy Spirit because she knew eventually if it was true what she was hearing she'd have to admit she was been wrong all those years. That's, that was very courageous sister for you to say that. Yes. And there's a bunch of people that need to come to that crossroads too. Resisting tomorrow's truth because you don't want to admit you got it wrong yesterday. And so you don't walk in it today, and today becomes tomorrow, and so on. Well, not enduring sound doctrine, what does that mean? It means not simply that they don't amen it, it means they run away from it. They won't put up with it. They get away, they, they refuse all throughout the course of church history, friends, and now in our culture right now both in ecclesiastical contexts within churches, but also in societal contexts, within different flame or or, um, ripples in our culture, Christians are being muzzled. They're being told you can't say that. Now we're going to pray on the Monday before the election. I want to tell you, let me give a disclaimer about that. Uh, Don't come and pray out loud for your candidate to win. That's not why we're doing it. And if you grab a mic and you think you're going to pray for your candidate to win, you will either be muted or somebody will snatch that sucker right out of your hand. Because <laughs> that's not why we're gathering, because listen, neither one of those candidates would Jesus wrap His arms around and say, I wholly support him or her. Right. It's just ridiculous to think that, so what are we going to pray for? We're going to pray for the nations that's going, the nation who is going to reap from whatever those two, one of those two sows. So we're going to humble ourselves and obey the Word of God and, and uh, seek His face that there might be healing in our land. Yeah. Our culture doesn't want biblical values. And mark this down, I am, I am not even functioning in a prophetic gift right now. This is easy. My son could tell you this. It's not going to get better in the American culture towards biblically uh, based Christianity. It's not. And so when we read that the time is coming when they won't endure sound teaching, you can write in your Bible, we've been here a minute. This is not new. Friends, this has been going on, but it is exponentially increasing in the intensity against the people of God. So my question is this, are you convinced enough to where you will stand when you are called to recant? will you stand? Will you align yourself with Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, the doctrines of Scripture? Will you say, I know it's unpopular at school, but I stand. I know I'm going to be labeled the zealot at work, but I stand. I know that people are going to frown at me, but I stand because I can do nothing else but stand. Look in verse number 3 at the end of it when they won't endure sound teaching anymore there's going to be a dreadful substitute. Look at it. But having itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Now that is absolutely talking about in the church, in the, in the visible professing church. When they no longer want to hear the truth they will be able to find teachers who will tell them exactly what they want to hear and they'll be able to surround themselves with them according to the, the Scriptures here. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Let me give you an Old Testament parallel just to show you that this is a battle that's been going on for uh, generations. In Zechariah chapter number 7 let me read you these words. This is God the Father speaking over Israel. They refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears so that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts has sent by His Spirit through the former prophets. Therefore great anger came from the Lord of hosts. This is what God said, I call as I called and they would not hear, so they called and I would not hear. Man. God's always been able to work through hearts that are submissive submissive and tremble at His Word. He He delights to work in the lives and hearts of those that will tremble at His authority as expressed through the Word of God. But it's very interesting that when we cut ourselves off, we do it to ourselves. We will not hear. We will not listen. It, it, the, the Hebrew emphasizes a pulling away of the shoulder. You ever try to get one of your kids? You know, you're in a parking lot, ladies. You got a hand on the buggy. You got one on your hip, and you got your three-year-old. You know, doing donuts with you know in the parking lot, and you're just trying to grab them, and they're pulling away the shoulder. And they're like, uh-uh, you're not going to get me. That's the picture there. And he says they put their God says they put their hands on their ears. We've all seen that with our kids. Na, na, na. That's the picture. It's infantile, but that's the way we appear to God when He's speaking truth that will save us and develop us and rescue us and bring us great joy and bring Him great glory. And we're pulling away the shoulder. We're saying, No, 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 no. And we're putting our hands on our ears. And God says, If that's the way you want to play, when you need me, you're going to call out to me. You're going to reach out to me. Do you know what I'm going to do? God says, God says, I'm going to pull away the shoulder and I'm going to look at you and say, No, 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 no. That's what he says. Go back and read the verse. You don't believe me? Go back and read the verse. He says, when you call unto me I'm not going to hear. You say, well Jeff, we don't believe that part of the Bible. Well that's why I'm preaching this message to you, amen? Listen, you're going to find somebody that will tell you what you want to hear. You can. There's just so many people talking. You can find, and if you can, man just, you know film yourself and go Facebook Live and you can preach your own messages to yourself all the time. You've you got somebody that will tell you what you want to hear even if it's you. But in the end you're going to regret that. And you'll probably regret it along the way. See God is speaking friends. He speaks through His Word eternally. He applies it by His Spirit. So we can take a passage that was written 2,000 years ago from an apostle to a, 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 a young pastor and we can lay it before and soak it with prayer and then pr- bring it forth and now all of a sudden you're hearing the Rama word. You're hearing the word being spoken to you in the moment from the written word that was written 2,000 years ago. They carry the authority of God. It's inappropriate for us to sing to Him and worship Him and yet disobey Him when it comes to His word. And so he was telling Timothy, he was saying, Timothy, it's going to be a dreadful substitute when they refuse to hear the truth there's going to be stadiums that will be able to be filled by false prophets that are going to tell them exactly what they want to hear. Uh, I do predict that God is going to offer to the United States of America another revival. I believe that. He's going to offer it, but it's only going to be experienced by those who see the necessity of the Spirit and who bow to the authority of the Word. Everybody else will be disqualified. You will not see it, you will not notice it, you will not experience it, but if enough of us in the body of Christ will say, Holy Spirit do what you want to do, do what you want to do in me, around me, for me, and through me. You are God upon earth, I rejoice in your works, I rejoice in your ways, and I rejoice in your Word. And so Lord let your Word come forth for me. I bow to your Word. I establish, Lord, my guidelines for my personal holiness by your word. What comes out of my mouth, Lord, will be your truth. I will not move to the left or to the right, but I will walk the straight and narrow according as you have put up the guardrails of your word. I will, Lord, walk in that way. And God it will, will pour out in our generation revival if enough of us will do that. And friends, when I say that, don't let it be the other person. Yes, somebody ought to do that. No, you ought to do that. You must do that. Look with me down in verse number 4. There will be a deadly straying. It's not happy yet, be patient. They will get their own teachers and they will turn away from listening to the truth. And they'll wander off into myths. That's exactly what's happened in the last hundred years in the American church. They've said increasingly frequently, no to God, no to Your Word, No, those were simple people living in simple times and we don't think that way anymore and we don't believe that way anymore and so we redefine things like marriage, we redefine things like when life starts, we redefine things like morality. I mean my goodness somebody was telling me the other day, it was my daughter, that there was some form that had to be filled out in, in the school, I think it was at the school, and had to check your gender and there were like nine check boxes to choose from. And one of them was other. (laughs) Do you see what we've done? By the way, that's just been in the last couple of years. You know why? Because Christians went silent. And the ones who did speak didn't speak in love. They spoke in some obnoxious, you know, picketing funerals of soldiers with ungodly things written on them and that's the representation that the media picks up and it's no wonder that the culture doesn't want to listen to us. But they wander off into myths. I've seen two extremes that people wander into when they no longer or have never been trained to take the objective word of God and wrap their lives around it. The two extremes are traditions and trends. I'll deal with trends first. The trend, the person who lives for the trends in the kingdom is basically getting all that they know about the kingdom from certain gurus who focus on the external. What would it it look like if God was doing something? And so that is manufactured. And trends deceive us. They blow in, they seem to generate a lot of emphasis and activity for a little bit, but then they fade away. But don't worry, it's okay because for the person that loves trends, there's somebody waiting for the next trend. This has been going on hot and heavy in America for about 40 years, and media and television, and I know we have a television ministry, I get it, but we don't go for trends. So the trends are basically putting your finger to the wind, answering the question, what will get the people to come? What will make them feel good? And most importantly, what will get them back next time? And those are trends. And you have to always keep something fresh going. And most of the time it's not sourced in the objective Word of God or even in the person of God. The other side is the one I'm more familiar with and that's traditions. It's the unexamined way of how things have always been done. And very few people have the courage. By the way do you know today is Reformation Sunday? Do you know that? The Great Reformation of Martin Luther and the 95 Theses and, and when all of a sudden things got real through a a disillusioned monk named Martin Luther who dared to challenge the established religion. And you and I wouldn't be sitting here worshiping like we did this morning were it not for the courage that he showed. So the, the point being is this, traditions as long as they serve truth I don't have any problem with it. But traditions when they, and they often do, when they counteract, when they intersect truth and truth can't go any further until the tradition is dealt with. A lot of people wander off into the myth of overt traditionalism. And you won't know what is a trend, and you won't know what is an un- unbiblical tradition unless you're in the objective Word of God. And so when we examine who we are as a people at New Bridge and what we're doing and how we're doing it, we are not going blindly and honoring the trends of what maybe some famous church is doing in our community Or nor are we going back to figure out how Grandpa got his spiritual blessing on in 1962. We're just not going to do that. It shows you how young I am if my grandfather was a grandfather in 1962. But <laughs> Point being is this. I'm going to say it like God's wired me to say it. And I want you to know in my heart, I I love you. I don't care what your traditions are. And I don't care what your trends are when it comes to determining what we're going to do as a body. Because if we give equal credence to everybody's tradition or the latest cool trend, it'll be a schizophrenic church. And we'll get nothing done. However, we have a much better option. What is it? Not trends, not traditions, truth truth. God's Word tells us everything that pertains to life and godliness. So, when we're thinking about the generation that we're living in and people are shifting away and people are entertaining substitutes and they're straying, know this, that this prophecy from 2 Timothy 3, this prophecy has definitely come to pass in our generation. You're living in the context of a prophecy coming to pass. Therefore, we must stress our commitment to God's Word all the more vigorously. Why am I so passionate about it? Because it's the silence that got us into the rotten place that we are. It's because people stop being passionate about it. It's because they started embracing substitutes. It's because they started jettisoning off their, their, their biblically held values and beliefs and, and got intimidated and bullied by a godless culture to back us into a corner, to dare us to speak about it. And now when we are, are prompted by the Spirit to speak about it a lot of us as believers are, are asking, is, are, is it legal for us to do that? Do we have the legal right to say Jesus is Lord? Do we have the legal right to say that we believe in the sanctity of life therefore it's not a political issue when I say that I am pro-life? It is a biblical issue? Do we have the right to say I believe in the sanctity of marriage while I have compassion on those with same-sex attraction and those immersed in the homosexual lifestyle? Do do, do I have the the right as citizens of the United States of America to say hey the Bible speaks to these things? And because we've fallen silent some of you can't even amen it in a church house. Yeah. So was there who's big brother's watching? Well, big brother needs to get saved, amen. <laughs> so go down into verses last handful of verses, five through seven. Young people, please hear me. I'm 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 just so um captivated in in recent months with your generation. I believe so strongly that you uh, are going to see and do things that no generation of American Christians have ever been able to see or do. But none of you will do it apart from the necessity of the Holy Spirit and the authority of the Word of God. It'll be a pipe dream if you don't give yourself to the Bible. It'll be a joke. It'll be a passing vapor. But if you will give yourself to the Word of God, and you will stay yielded to the Spirit of God and obey Him, then you're going to see and be able to be used of Him to facilitate, I believe, what will be a revival that would dwarf the great awakening. I believe that God will use a yielded generation who will ingest the Word, who will soak in His presence, who will share the Word, who will not back down but also not be obnoxious. I believe that He will usher in through you um, such a host of numerical salvations. I believe you'll see healings. I believe that you will see signs and wonders that glorify Jesus and draw unbelievers to Him just like was done in the Gospels and the book of Acts. I do believe that, but I don't believe any of that will ever happen if if a generation does not embrace that they are a people of God's Word because otherwise you're living and leaning under your own understanding. So the need in our generation, and this is not just for the young, this is for all of us. Understand that there's a cost to pay, verse number 5. So back to Paul and Timothy. He's just told Timothy uh, to, to grow a spine and, to, and, and not worry about people walking away and whatnot. And so he, he says um, you need to be sober-minded. And you need to endure suffering. Timothy, you're going to have to be engaged and you're going to have to be enduring. Because this is the easiest place all week where, where you will process what I'm saying. This is the easiest place sitting in a sanctuary with a bunch of fine Christians. It's the easiest place to process what I'm saying. You know where you're hearing it, that's right, that's right, yes Holy Spirit is affirming it in your heart because it's unchallenged in here. But when you go out there into a, a hostile world, in a world that doesn't feel really great about your Jesus, they don't even know Him. They know this morphed version that has been presented to them through a host of different inaccurate sources. They they don't know Him. And so when when you are entering into the culture and you're going to work and to school and the community and and you're you're presenting yourself in a way that defines you as a follower of Jesus according to the Word of God, I'm going to make you a promise. All that live godly in Christ Jesus are going to suffer some level of persecution. And so Timothy is told by the apostle who knew a little bit about suffering for Jesus. He says, I want you to be sober minded. In other words, hey, sober up about this. I want to celebrate. I want my Christian life to be more like a carnival than it is a funeral. I want to celebrate. I I, I would much rather be a a festive Christian than a forlorn Christian. But the reality is there are some sobering things going on in the kingdom uh, in the realm that we're living in, and as citizens of the kingdom, that's probably the better way to say it, we need to be sobered up by it. Uh, The the multiple millions of aborted babies you, you do realize that God has judged every nation in the Bible that killed their offspring, including Israel. Israel didn't get a free pass when they were making their children pass through the fire. That's why God destroyed them through Persia and Babylon, one of the reasons. Because their idolatry had so elevated themselves that they would literally sacrifice their children. If God didn't let the apple of His eye, Israel, get away with it, how in the world do we think America gets a free pass? 60 million. 60 million. Babies. Very sobering. And yet we've made it a political football. I'm not telling you I'm not even talking about your vote. I'm talking about your heart. Amen. We've made it a political football. When all we have to do is open up the Bible and answer the question. Does the Bible reveal a God who values life in the womb or not? Yes. And there you have your answer. Yes. Same thing with our sexuality? Same thing with our finances? Same thing with our relationships, same same thing with our mission, our pursuits, it's just there. He's a God that comes alongside and He says I would love to teach you how to live this life for me. But it's going to cost you something. And it has every generation of believers globally that has ever been living in a culture that hates the gospel. And brothers and sisters, you have to make up your mind now if you're going to stand. Because if you don't make it up before time, but beforehand you will not choose wisely when the moment comes and the fire hits. So there is a cost to pay. You've got to endure the suffering. By the way Jesus despised the cross He hated it, but He endured it. He endured the cross despising the shame. Why did He do it? For the joy set before Him. And so when we are enduring affliction, resistance, opposition, demeaning talk, ruined reputations, mockery, all of those things which could escalate even into the confiscation of our property and the closing of our churches and the um, removal of some of our rights. That can happen in this beloved United States of America. The question is will you endure? Ensure God's Word is never hidden in the church. I'm going to come back to this in two weeks. But this is where he tells Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Let's just say this, I love what God does in here when we gather around His Word and we gather in His Spirit. But we cannot hide, hide the truth in the church. We can't hide it here. We already have the truth and we're growing in the truth, but one of the calls on our lives is to take the truth to our friends and our neighbors and our, our family. And so he tells Timothy, who wasn't that bold of a guy, hey, don't forget to saturate with the Gospel. Don't forget to share the Gospel. and I'm coming back that for a whole separate message in two weeks. And then individuals taking ownership of their part. This is the need in our generation. Understand there is a cost to pay. Ensure that God's Word is never hidden in the church. And individuals must take ownership of their part. I love what he says to Timothy. Fulfill your ministry, Timothy. Fulfill your ministry, Timothy. Your ministry. Your ministry. Your ministry. The Bible refers to every believer as a minister of the Gospel. You don't need an ordination plaque hanging on your wall. If this will encourage you, I have no idea where my two ordination certificates are. One from Meadow Baptist and whenever I got that I have no idea where it went. And we just got new ones when we formed the church. We didn't even have to go through an ordination council. Uh, they just sent us one and said okay, you and Dustin are now the ordinate, ordaining committee of the church. And Dustin and I looked at each other and we said, hey, it's worth nothing! You know, We just kind of <laughs> set it aside, who cares? Who cares? I and mean, the fact of the matter is, man, I don't need a piece of paper on my wall telling me who my identity is in Jesus or in the kingdom. Yes. And so, ladies, you're a minister. Daughters of God, will you say that with me? I am a minister? Would you say? That was weak. Yes. Come on. Daughters of God, I I, am a minister. I may need to preach on that. I don't know if y'all believe it or not. <laughs> Sons of God, will you say it with me? I am a minister. Listen, the beauty of it is this. Um, we all have a ministry. Find out what yours is and do it. You say, well Jeff I've been praying for nine years. Well listen you're not listening. You're not. Do what you can do and you'll be led to what you should do. That's my motto. Do what you can do. So, say, Jeff I've been praying for six months fasting and praying and I'm going to get involved at New Bridge Church one day. Well you should have been down in the nursery today. We need come on. Y'all are with me. So, Jeff, that's not in the Bible, man. <laughs> the point being is this. Listen, do what you can do, and God will direct you to what you should do. If you're unwilling to do what you can do, you'll never be entrusted with what you should do. That was good. Tweet that to me, Walker. That was good. <laughs> the point being is this, fulfill your ministry. He's got something for you, something really good. Something he will never let me do. He's got something for you that he'll look at Jeff Lyle and say, I didn't give that to you. I don't want you touching that. That's not for you. That's theirs. You fulfill it. Paul was a dying man looking at a representative of the next generation. And he said to Timothy, Timothy, I'm almost done. I've got months maybe. Timothy, whatever you do, finish well. Finish well. Don't play around, Timothy. Don't goof off, Timothy. Don't drop the ball on the five yard line Timothy. Run all the way with it son. Fulfill. Fill to the fullest your ministry. The work that God has given you to do. And then the last verses are testimony and Paul basically teaches us to prioritize this principle for the next generation. Look at what Paul says. After he tells Timothy to fulfill Timothy's ministry he says now look at me Timothy. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. Listen listen to the confidence of these words. I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And the word kept there in the Greek is a Greek word that means to watch over or to guard. Paul saw that part of his finishing his race well was to protect and to preserve the pristine biblical gospel and then to hand it to Timothy's generation. He guarded it in his generation. He fought for it. He prioritized it. He didn't turn away to fables and myths and trends and traditions. He endured suffering as a good soldier and he was able to look the next generation squarely in the eye and say this, my life is now going to come to an end. But I believe, Timothy, that I've given you everything you need. Preach the word, son. Preach the word. Listen, pastors, youth pastors, preachers, evangelists, be really careful not to let your Bible gather dust. You have no other alternative. Everything else anybody could do. Gospel preachers, gospel teachers, as Spurgeon said, let it be Biblene. That means Bible in your blood. As he handed it to Timothy in the next generation, all Paul could do is look up to the Lord and say, I did what you gave me to do. I've now given it to Timothy. I'm ready to be poured out like an offering. That is a great way to die. That's an awesome way to go mine won't be as dramatic as that. Yours probably won't be as dramatic as that. But listen, it can have some of those same core principles in there. We are Bible-believing Christians. I love you, but if you think that's going to change here, you're in the wrong church and you should get your letter and move to a different place. We will remain Bible-believing Christians.